As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we've, we've already heard this morning, we've, we've even sung this morning that you are the king, that you are high and mighty, that you are exalted above all, that you have set Jesus as your king, the righteous and perfect one. And yet, Lord, we know that as much as we might come and say and sing that together this morning, that is not always the thing that runs through all of our lives. That we do not in every area of our life acknowledge and, uh, and call you and, uh, and worship and honor you and love you as king. Your word says if we fail to do that, the rocks and the stones will cry out your praise. And so Lord, as we try to think about what it means for you to be our king and us to respond rightly to that this morning, please by your spirit would you move in our hearts to bring those realities to rest more fully and more deeply within us. It wouldn't just be the songs of our lips on a Sunday morning, but it would be the very song of our whole life. That you are the king, that you are the one that we worship, that we love, that we adore, that you are the one who is exalted. Lord, it is your work to bring us to that place. We ask you to do it. Amen. Um, so Anthony Joshua is one of my favorite um, sports people of the day. He's a heavyweight boxer, if you don't know. And he is the heavyweight champion of the world. And this week, uh, I got excited because he announced his next fight against this guy who I don't know, Jerome Miller, who is an American guy in New York, uh, coming up in a few months. And so what Anthony Joshua will now do, uh, he might have already done it already, is he will go into training camp. And this is where uh, the boxer goes away with his team, with his trainers. He keeps out of the limelight. 24-7, he is training. He is preparing he is investing in what is coming. So for the next however many weeks, he won't do many interviews. He won't be in the media. Um, he'll be focusing, working with his closest friends, getting ready for, for the 1st of June. And that's kind of what we've been seeing, really, uh, that kind of thing in the last few weeks in, in, in the story of Mark, uh, as he tells us Jesus' story. Jesus has been with his friends, putting away from the limelight, away from the crowds, if you like, in a boot camp preparing them for what is coming up. 
He's been teaching and training his disciples. He's been helping them to see uh, and preparing them. Uh, so they slowly get to grips, we've seen over the last few months since Christmas, with what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and what that's going to look like. He's spoken time and time again about him going to die in Jerusalem. But what will happen in, in a few months, the, the week before fight week, Anthony Joshua will kind of reappear again into public life. He'll merge back into limelight. There'll be lots of media and lots of interviews and promoting the fight and that kind of thing. And it all builds up to what is my favourite moment of uh, a boxing fight night, and that is the ring walk. And this is a picture of Anthony Joshua on his ring walk. This is the moment that the boxers are unveiled, if you like, to everyone. And, 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 and the, the, the crowds are there, and they walk through the stadium, and, and there's loud music. You know, it's kind of like Eye of the Tiger type stuff, that kind of really getting you going. And the crowds are cheering and shouting, and there's fireworks and, and everything else. And there's excitement and there's anticipation. You see, the purpose of the ring walk, it isn't just for the boxer to get from the changing room to the ring as, like, as conveniently as possible. Now, the purpose of the ring walk is to show his power and his might. The purpose of the ring walk is to strike some fear into his opponent. The purpose of the ring walk is to get his fans excited, built up, hyped. They know what's coming. See, this moment that we've just read in Mark 11 today is, if you like, Jesus' ring walk. This is the moment he's finished his boot camp with his friends He's got them ready for what's coming. And now he re-emerges into the public spotlight. And as fact, last week we saw, didn't we, that this blind man, Bartimaeus, called out very publicly, the first very public kind of statement, Jesus, you are the son of David, you are the Messiah. So if you like, Bartimaeus kind of put it out there in the public ring. This is who Jesus is. He's God's king. He's God's champion. And so now Jesus is unveiled to the crowds and to the public as God's king and saviour. And here he is, he's coming to the capital, coming to Jerusalem, and he's coming to do business. And so these crowds that kind of gather around, who are going up to Jerusalem as well for this Passover festival, you see, they haven't been in on these conversations that we've been exploring the last few months. So they haven't heard Jesus talk about the fact he's going up to Jerusalem to die on a cross. They haven't heard him talk about suffering and other sorts of things. Heard a little bit of it earlier on, but they haven't really been in the kind of detail of the conversations with Jesus' disciples. And so they are, they are excited and they are full of anticipation because this is our champion, this is our Messiah, this is our King unveiled coming to the ring. You see, and what they think and what they expect is they expect they're going to see his power and his might on display. They think this is going to strike fear into our opponents. They think, Romans, you better get ready. He's going to come in, he's going to knock out the Romans, he's going to establish Israel as great again. This is their hope and their expectation. And Mark's story has really been building to this moment of arrival in Jerusalem for quite a long time. And actually, we're now going to spend this final third, we're two-thirds of the way through, we're going to spend the final third of Mark, and it's all concerned with the last week of Jesus' life. The whole story just zooms down now and focuses in. This is, if you like, the big fight that Jesus has been training and preparing for and getting his followers ready for. But we're going to see in the coming weeks that it's not the fight that people are expecting. 
You see, because the, the, the ring, if you like, where the fight happens, isn't so much the, uh, the palace of, of the Roman um, governor, Pilate. It's actually the, the temple and the grounds of the temple where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with his opponents in this last week of his life. So it's more of a, a spiritual religious fight than a political one, it seems, that he's waging. And then as the rounds of the fight progress through this last week, well, it certainly doesn't unfold as people are hoping or expecting until that massive knockout has landed on Good Friday. So that's to come in, in, in the coming weeks up to Easter. But today we take our seats and we see our king on his ring walk. As I say at the boxing, are you ready? They say it much more dramatic than that, but are you ready? <laughs> I, I thought about doing it, but... Because <laughs> that's what we need to do, we need to behold our king. Behold our king, here in Mark 11, here he is on this dusty road, going into Jerusalem, this poor, ordinary-looking, weak and humble man, this Jewish man who sits on a donkey, trampling on these cloaks and these branches that are put on the ground in front of him. Here is your king. Here is the son of David. This is the Messiah. Lowly and humble, riding on a donkey. This isn't chariots and horsemen. This isn't the might and power of Caesar's parades. Seems so weak, doesn't it? So ordinary. It's a bit like this guy turning up to a heavyweight boxing contest. This is Mr. Muscle. I think about 10 years ago he changed to actually some muscular hero, but back in the day when I was growing up, Mr. Muscle adverts on this scrawny little kind of nine stone like fellow in his vest that's advertising like cleaning products or whatever. But imagine this guy walking into the ring to face Anthony Joshua. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. You see, this story here uh, of Jesus is it's in all the Gospels, and it's known as the triumphant entry. But doesn't it strike you, as Luke read it and as Mark uh, writes it, that it's anything but that, really? Mark gives us, like, the no-frills version of this story. The whole thing is played down. There's, there's minimal detail. There's not really much comment or explanation of what's going on. And really, Mark is just drawing our attention to the simplicity of it. It's kind of embarrassing. This is your ring walk. This is the Messiah going public, and he seems to be nothing. He's just lowly and humble. But listen, this is exactly how God promised his king would come. That's about 500 years earlier. God had uh, spoken through his spokesman, Zechariah, and he said this. 500 years before this event, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus doesn't get this donkey because he needed some rest for the last bit of the journey or something. Like In Mark, he's, lit, he's like walked hundreds of miles. You know, they've been going all over the place, walking. And he's never kind of asked for a ride or whatever. You know, he goes through deserts, mountains, fields, all the rest. Now, the reason he, he's rangers getting this donkey is exactly to fulfill this stuff. To create the link in people's minds. This is who it is. This is God's king coming. Here is God's king. Yes, he's coming in humility and weakness. And he looks like he's got nothing on the great Roman Empire. And he looks like he's got nothing on the great empires of our day as well. 
the empires of the authority of the media in our culture and society, or, the, or academia and all the kind of smart people in the universities who have the, the kind of intellectual power in our society. He looks like he's got nothing on the cult of celebrity, which wields such power in people's lives, or, or the power of the brands and big business and all of that stuff. All of that that wields so much power that the empires and the kingdoms of our worlds. But this verse says, no, he is God's king, and he is victorious, and he will be victorious. And that means his kingdom will outlast them all. He looks humble, and he looks lowly, and he looks weak. But he's God's king, and so he will last. He's lowly, and he's humble. But also, the other thing is, you read Mark 11 there, he's not really doing much, is he? I mean, half of this passage is a conversation about some guy who's going to collect a donkey. <laughs> like, it's hardly kind of important matters of state, is it? It's not like, yeah, you're going to really change the world. Go and get the donkey for me and bring it back, and this is what you need to say. And, and then at the end of the passage, there in verse 11, nothing really happens. It's like total anticlimax. You've got like the, the, the ring walk, and then you're expecting the fireworks of the big fight. Jesus goes to the temple, he looks around, he sees it's late, and so he goes home to his hotel for a kip. See, it looks like not much is going on. It looks like there's nothing happening here, particularly. But what we need to see is that everything that is happening is happening according to his knowledge and according to his plan. He's in control of all things. So we see that with this, with this donkey episode. He, um, he shows that he is purposeful and in, in control of events. He, he kind of, he instructs his friends to go and get a donkey. He tells them exactly how to handle the conversation and, uh, and the donkey comes back. See, he's in control even when it doesn't look like him. Even though it looks like nothing's happening. You see, the truth is, and most of us know this, but maybe you don't realize it yet, that life with Jesus can be very, very ordinary. Very, very plain. There's times where it just quite frankly looks like not much is going on. Not much is happening. And it can be hard when it looks like that Jesus isn't doing much, and life feels a bit like an anticlimax. All of this hope and expectation and build-up for like this... You know, I think we, we've experienced this as a church in the last five years. Where sometimes it's felt like growth or lack of growth in church is like long, slow, and hard work. Lots of times where it just seems like there's not much happening, actually. There's little progress being made spiritually. We're overwhelmed by the task in front of us. And, and sometimes that's quite a difficult thing to face up to. Jesus, is this really your plan? Is this really according to your will? Why isn't more happening? Or maybe personally, this could play out in a whole load of different, different ways for us. Maybe life feels like it's on hold for you. Like you're just, you're waiting for something to happen. I think it's a common experience if you're single and, and, and you're desiring and, and even desperate for a relationship. And it feels like nothing's really happening and you're like, what's going on? There's nothing happening here. Or maybe you're facing ongoing health struggles and nothing seems to be changing and nothing's getting better and, and the doctors aren't able to help and you think, Jesus, what are you doing? What's going on? Have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about my situation? 
Why is nothing changing? Can't make sense of what's going on. Well, how are we to respond to Jesus when life is like that? It looks like nothing's happening. What what you get in Mark's story, you get loads of examples of how people respond to Jesus. And, And it's not rocket science that some of those responses are good, and you can copy and, and learn from people. And some others are bad, and you want to learn by not being like those responses, right? I think we've seen that as we've gone out. We have to figure out which are the good responses and which are the bad ones. Sometimes really obvious, sometimes maybe not quite so obvious. Well, today, I think, in this passage, we see two different responses to Jesus. And I actually think they're both good uh, examples to us that we can learn from and, and copy them. And the first one is this. Sorry. That we are to obey our king. We are to obey our king. And that means doing what Jesus says when we're not sure what he is doing and what he is up to. See, these two disciples here, they're basically sent off by Jesus to feed a donkey from some village, right? It's all right. You'll be fine. If someone comes to speak to you, just say this. I've got it covered. You're thinking, Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> What's just going to nick a donkey? Now, listen... Jesus might have made prior arrangements with someone to, to, to get the donkey, to be, be available. More likely, it's that Jesus had some supernatural spiritual insight into the situation. But whatever it is, well, I want us to see the response of these disciples. They listen to Jesus. They understand. They trust him and his word. They trust that he knows what he's doing, even when they don't really get what's going on. And they go. And they obey. And they do. You see, yes, Jesus is humble. Yes, this man coming into Jerusalem looks lowly and pathetic and weak, but he is still the king, and he's still a powerful king. He's a king who's in charge and in control and can be trusted. Whatever the situation we're in, whatever the situation of your life is today, you can trust him. You can trust him. You know, if we don't believe that, then we will always find it hard to follow and to obey Jesus where it looks like life is just plain ordinary, where it looks like nothing is happening, or we just don't get what he's doing, and we don't like what he's doing. We'll find it so hard to trust him then. You see, Jesus doesn't tell these guys the whole plan. He doesn't say how absolutely everything's going to unfold. He doesn't tell them why he needs the donkey. But they know him, and they know that they can trust him, and they know that he knows what he's doing. And so they go and they do. You know, Jesus does not owe us an explanation of his whole plan for our life before we follow him, before we obey him, before we trust him. He doesn't need to reveal the next 10 years to you what your career is going to look like, what your family life is going to look like, whatever else. Before you like, okay, yeah, if it's going to be like that, Jesus, yeah, I can follow you. No, Psalm... 119 says this, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. See, Jesus, by his word, guides us step by step. And so we're to look to him, we're to hear his word, and we're to obey it today. And we're to take the next step following him today, listening to his voice, doing what he says. And if we do that day after day after day, then the decades will take care of themselves, or he will take care of them for us. We don't need him to reveal to us his whole hand. He's worthy to be followed. But it's tricky, isn't it, in those situations where he looks like he is doing nothing. 
Well, quite frankly, he's doing what we don't want. You see, we might not know what he's doing, but we need to trust and obey his voice. So church growth or lack of growth may be a long and winding road for us together, but we can trust Jesus' word when he says he will build his kingdom and he will build his church. And we can obey his blueprint for what a healthy church looks like. We can commit ourselves to the right things. We can labor through thick and thin. We can hang in there in the day of great things and the day of small things. We can go on spreading the gospel. We can go on devoting ourselves to the church. We can go on praying our hearts out. We can invest all we have in his kingdom, even when it doesn't look like the returns are coming. And we can know that he often works in unseen ways through unseen things in ways that we just won't realize. But we just trust him with that. Or if you're single, and your singleness goes into yet another year, we're invited to yet another wedding. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You think, what are you doing with my life, God? How can I follow you in this? Listen, God, God has laid it on my heart to say this, that we might, know what, we might not know what he's doing, but we need to trust and obey his voice. We need to trust the promises of God's word to you that you are loved, that your fullness of life is in him. That, that you are valued and a vital member of our church family here. And that actually that singleness is his gift to you just now. It's the gift that he has given to you. And so then resolve yourself in obedience to him to use the freedoms that singleness gives to serve and to witness and to commit to others and seek his voice and his guidance and his will for you to the extent that you do seek or pursue relationships. Look to him in that and follow what he has for you. Or in your ill health. Plays out as well, doesn't it? And and your ongoing health struggles that maybe again stretch into the decades. Or maybe the outlook of the future is just uncertain. And it looks like chronic pain or whatever else. The question is, will you lean into him and trust that he is at work even when you can't see it? So for as long as he does not answer your prayers for healing as you'd like, will you learn that he is your strength in your weakness? Will you learn that you can have joy even in great pain in him? Will you get to grips with the fact that all, all suffering is given to us so that we may grow in hope and in godliness and in him? Would we try to get to the grips with how our witness and our faith can shine brightly in the affliction of our suffering and our ill health and our pain? Listen, we might not know what he's doing, but we need to trust him. We need to hear and obey his voice. These situations are not situations in which we're to turn away from him, but they're situations in which we're to press further into him. In actual fact, very often it might be his purpose for us that he gives us these hardships so that we do press further into him by faith. This is our chance to put our faith into practice. I don't know what's going on, but Jesus does. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows the end from the beginning, and so he can be trusted and followed in the uncertainty of today.
See, this is a king who isn't only worthy to be followed when we agree with and like what he's doing, but this is a king to be trusted and to follow but we can't see the way forward. Or we don't know, and we possibly don't like what he's doing. Trust him and do what he says. Let him take care of the rest. We're to obey our king. That's a good example here. But secondly, we're also to worship our king. And we see that here in these crowds as he rides on the donkey on the road to Jerusalem, and there they are, they're taking their cloaks and coats off their back and throwing them on the ground before him. They're they're getting the branches, cutting them down and putting them on the ground and waving them, and they're shouting out his praise. This is their, their kind of ceremonious welcome of their king. This is them holding nothing back, kind of laying their all out before him. And they call and respond these chants, Hosanna, Call that a couple of times here. That means save us. Save us, please. It's, it's a cry of praise for being saved and rescued, anticipating what he's coming to do. They call out that he's the one that is sent by God, is the one who's going to bring the kingdom. He's here for us. And so they're worshipping and praising and shouting and delighting in him. It's a bit like this when... Um, Anthony Joshua, first shot to fame, was at the London 2012 Olympics. And, uh, and at those Olympics, he won boxing gold. See, the thing about the Olympics, which is different now when he's doing his fights, is that at the Olympics, you don't just fight for yourself, do you? You fight for your country. And so when you win the gold at the Olympics, it's not just yours, but it goes on the GB uh, medal chart table, doesn't it? And in one sense, he won that gold for all of us. We won Heavyweight boxing gold at the Olympics. He's our champ and he wins for us. And we take great pride and delight in that. And, and therefore we have the big parade at the end of the Olympics of all of our champions, don't we? Well, here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And he's coming to be our champion. And he's coming to fight our fight for us. He's coming to win our salvation by his death on the cross. See, he's a king, yes, but he's coming to Jerusalem to humble himself to death, to give his life up and die on a cross to rescue us. Now, I don't think for a minute that this crowd really got all of that as they're shouting his praise at all. I think they got very little of it. They didn't see the reality of who he is and what he's coming to do. But they are excited about this long-promised salvation. And they sing, and they wave, and they shout with expectation. And it makes them feel happy and glad, and it overflows. You see, this humble and this lowly king is to be praised and is to be worshipped. And this crowd, they got it bang on. They didn't realize quite how or why or how they got it bang on, but they did get it bang on. We say, uh, as a church, most of you will be familiar with this, it's on, on this, um, this orange banner here, that our purpose, our reason for existing as a church, the, very, the reason we're here today is to help people, help one another love Jesus more and more. And guys, that means that we want to grow in depth as worshippers of Jesus. We want our love for him to deepen in our lives and in our hearts. 
We want it to become richer and fuller. We want our praise and our worship to be louder. We want our affections to be stirred. We want this humble king to draw us out and draw us deeper. We're not ashamed of using the love word about Jesus. It's an entirely appropriate response to him. You see, it's a terrible thing when people who have been Christians for decades have gone cold. Their spiritual fervor is now barely a flicker. They're basically lukewarm. Perhaps they know so much of Jesus, and yet it has not penetrated an impact and affected their heart. So it isn't really expressed in their life. You may have seen it, I've seen it, and it's a terrible thing. The opposite is true. It is a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely astounding thing to see the passion and the joy and the life and the flicker of life in the eyes of a young believer or someone who's coming to faith. A new and foolish, naive believer who doesn't really get it all, who doesn't really have all of the understanding, who doesn't really maybe get fully who Jesus is. And yet the little they know of Jesus so impacts them, so takes hold of them, is so incredible to them that it captures their heart, that it drives them to kind of infectious speech about him. Often those who, who more recently have come to Jesus are the best at talking to others about him. And it overflows in loud songs to him and deep love for him. Which one of those are you closer to at the moment in your spiritual life? I guess we're all somewhere in between. You see, you don't need to get everything about Jesus before you can be all in and all out worshipping him. It's a beautiful thing. You can kind of praise him beyond your current comprehension, understanding and knowledge and ability to grasp. You can worship him in spirit and truth. You see, as we get to know Jesus more, our love is to abound and is to overflow. Our worship is to increase and our amazement and our joy is to sparkle through our life. See, if, if, if as, I've, as I'm saying these things, you feel like I've lost that. If, if that was something I had in the past, but it's not something that's my present reality and experience today. Well, listen, today is a good day to ask him to rekindle that in you by his spirit. Today is a good day to say, Jesus, would you stoke the fire of my heart again? Rekindle that love and that worship. See, today is a good day to be amazed at God's king, at our king, the king of all authority and power and might, who comes to Jerusalem lowly and humble, riding on a donkey. The king who comes to fight our battles for us. The king who comes to die for our sins. The king who comes to take the knockout punch instead of us. And the king who through that establishes a kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that grows in unseen and quiet and unnoticed ways. But a kingdom that will outlast them all. You see, we can be thankful today that this king, this King Jesus, is in charge of our lives, is in charge of every detail of our lives, every moment of our day even and perhaps especially those parts we don't like and we find hard. 
And we are a kingdom. We are a kingdom of people who hear his voice. Who love to obey and listen to what he says. And respond in lives overflow in worship and love of our great king. Should we pray that would be real for us? And then we're going to sing in response. Just have a moment to reflect before we pray. Jesus, if we do not hear your voice and listen, if we do not call out and worship and love to you, your word says the rocks will do it. Please would you help us to hear, to listen, to obey, and pour our lives out in loving worship. For your glory we pray. Amen.